Amen. All right. God is a way maker, a miracle worker. He's a promise keeper. He's a light in the darkness. That's the God that we serve, church. Isn't God good? Well, thank you, worship team, so much for that powerful time of worship. My name is Mike Bussey, and I'm, I'm one of the pastors on staff here at Walk Church. And I just want to take a moment and welcome everyone here once again this morning. We are really glad that you are, are here today. Um, Pastor Hyden actually couldn't be here today, but I'm happy to say that the kingdom is on the move. Pastor Hyden is in Mobile, Alabama today. He's preaching at three different churches today, um, and he's, he's preaching the gospel. You know, he's win, winning the loss, so, so we're happy for that. Um, Pastor Hyden did want me to let you know that he's sorry that he couldn't be here today, um, but he will be back next week, God willing. So let's just go ahead and remember to, to keep him in our prayers as he makes his way back to Las Vegas. Well, we've been preaching verse by verse through the book of Ephesians, and we've landed in Ephesians chapter 5 at the longest and most famous section in the entire Bible on the topic of marriage. And so we've started a, a, a series of sermons here called The Spirit-Filled Family. And in this passage, Paul is going to give us his instructions for marriage, right? And since the family and the church are the two institutions that God created, it should come as no surprise that God's got some things to say about how, a marriage is, how our marriages should operate, right? You, you could say that God wrote the book on marriage, and uh, we're going to go ahead and read what his instructions are to us today, but before we do, let me just remind us that this passage is written to the saints, right? That's something that we've been saying for the past couple weeks, and what that means is, is that this passage was written to believers, right? And, and here's why that's important, because if you're an unbeliever here today, a lot of the stuff that I'm about to say is not going to make a lot of sense. And that's because what the Bible says about marriage runs against the grain of the culture uh, in terms of what they think marriage looks like. All right, so, so just remember, this is written to believers. As a matter of fact, let's go ahead and just read it from the screen here. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1, beginning of the book. Paul says this. Paul, he's the author. He says, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. And let's say these three words together. To the saints to the saints, to the believers, to the Christians, right? He says, who are in Ephesus and at Walk Church in Las Vegas today, and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So this message, again, is written to Christians, people who have turned from their sins and trusted in Jesus Christ and now call themselves a follower of Jesus. So listen, if you're, an, if you're not a believer and you're, and you're here today, let me just say that the invitation is open for you to become a saint, for you to become a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. We would absolutely love for, for you to do that, and that would be the best decision that you'll ever make in your life, all right? But if you, if you are a believer, let me just go ahead and say this. If you are a Christian here today, our expectation as a church is that you would submit yourself to the teaching of God's Word, right? As Christians, we don't get to pick and choose which commands we like and which commands we, we don't like. Actually, I take that back. We, we can pick which ones we like, but we have to submit to all of them, all right? We submit to God by submitting to his word. We never stand in judgment over God's word. We always submit to the teaching of God's word, and we agree to do what he commands us to do. And, and, and secondly, very important, not only do we need to agree to submit to the teaching of God's word, but we need to make every effort to correctly understand what this passage, passage is teaching. Because a lot of Christians, and I'm sad to say a lot of churches, have misunderstood what this passage teaches, and they have made a mockery of marriage because they have used these verses as a weapon 
rather than something beautiful, which is what they are. All right? So, so we need to make every effort to submit and to understand correctly and apply what these, virtu- what these verses are teaching us. So here's the plan. We're going to go ahead and read the entire passage this morning so we can get a full picture of God's plan for marriage. We're going to read verses 18 all the way through 33, and then once we've read the entire thing, we're going to come back and we're going to focus our attention on verses 23 and 24, where where Pastor Hyden left off last week. So let's go ahead and read it together, but before we do, let's go to God and ask him for his help. Father, we come before you this morning, and God, we admit, first of all, God, that we need you. God, we need your help. God, we need you to empower us by your spirit to do the things that your word is about to command us to do. God, a lot of the things that you teach us about marriage don't come naturally for us. God, by nature, we are selfish people. God, we really care about ourselves a lot. But when we look at the Lord Jesus, we see that he came and he was other people-centered, that he put the needs of us above his own, And so, God, we're asking that by your spirit, you would make us into the kind of people who would be able to put the needs of others above our own. God, we can't do this on our own. We need your help. And so we're asking for it now. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So let's go ahead and dig in here, and let's go ahead and read through this passage. We like to start in verse 18, because this is really foundational for what Paul is going to ask us to do concerning marriage. So here's what he says. He says, first of all, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. And Pastor Hyden likes to say that one translation says, that'll waste your life. Right? We don't want to waste our life. So he says this, but be filled with the Spirit. Capital S, Spirit, that means that this is the Holy Spirit of God, and we are commanded now to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And here's what that looks like. Starting in verse 19, he says, it looks like this, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs... We're singing and we're making melody to the Lord, not with our mouth, but with our heart, right? But although we are singing, he says also giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then verse 21, foundational to our understanding of marriage, says this, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And here's what that means. It means that us in the church, we're going to interact with each other in the church, and here's what's going to happen. I'm going to submit myself to you. And I'm going to consider your needs more important than my own. Okay? And then you're going to do the same thing to me. You're going to say, no, 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 Mike. Your needs are more important than mine. How can I serve you? And then you're going to do that to the person on your left and the person on your right. And we're all going to be doing that to to each other. And Walk Church is going to be an amazing place to be. And Jesus said, you'll know my disciples for their love one for another. Look, this is a beautiful picture of what church is supposed to be like. But Paul knows and God knows that we're going to spend the majority of our time not at church. <laughs> we're going to spend the majority of our time in our marriages, at home with our families and with our kids. And if we're not there, then we're going to be at work. And so the Apostle Paul is actually going to touch on all of those areas in Ephesians chapter 5 and into Ephesians chapter 6. He's going to talk about parenting. He's going to talk to the children. And here's the foundational verse for all of it right here, submitting to one another. And so he picks it up in verse 22. He says, yep. It starts in your homes, wives. Let me start with you, wives. He says this, Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body. Right? He says, and is himself its savior. 
Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you see that he loves his wife. Let, let each one of, um, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. All right, so that's, that is the teaching on marriage, the longest, most famous section in the Bible on the teaching. I once heard someone put it like this. Sometimes I lay my head down on the pillow after a long day of marriage. <laughs> and the only verse in this passage that makes any sense is verse 32 that says, this mystery is profound. <laughs> Can I get an amen? <laughs> All right. So listen, Pastor Hyden preached on this passage last week. He preached a, a sermon called The Spirit-Filled Wife, and we really leaned into verse 22, which said, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And Pastor Hyden preached the what of this passage. He preached what a spirit-filled wife is. He talked about what spirit-filled submission looks like. And today, I want to talk to you about the why. I want to talk to you about the why because it's important for us to understand why God is calling us to do what we're doing, and God is gracious enough to give us the why in the passage that we're preaching. I have creatively entitled my sermon today, The Spirit-Filled Wife, Part 2. All right. Sorry, I wish it was more creative than that, but, uh, but uh, that's what he asked me to preach. So listen, before we begin, I just want to say this, church. I just want to affirm something with you this morning. Marriage is a good thing. All right, yeah, that's good. Let's, let's clap. In fact, let me just say this. Marriage is a really good thing. Marriage is a really good thing. When you go back to the book of Genesis and you see that God started to create things, he said, it said that he created the earth and, and, and he saw that it was good. God created the light and he saw that it was good. God created the fish and the birds and he saw that it was good, it says. But when he created man, it says that it was not good. God said it is not good that man should be alone. He says, I will make a helper suitable for him. And last week, Pastor Hyden talked about that word helper, and here's what he said. He said, this is one of the only times in the entire Bible where the word helper is used to someone other than God himself. Usually when the Bible talks about this word helper, it's in reference to God. And we read verses in the Bible that say stuff like this. God is my very present help in time of need. Right? Verses that say, God is my helper. In the New Testament, Jesus says, I will send the Holy Spirit and he will be your helper. Right? This is not a devaluing word. This is not a demeaning word. This is a God word that God applies to women. And here's the deal. Here's the deal. The woman has power that a man doesn't possess. 
a woman has certain kinds of giftings that men don't have. And the vice versa. At the same time, men have power that the woman doesn't possess, and men have gifting that women don't have. And, and so it wasn't good that men should be alone. The one thing in all creation that was not good by God's judgment was the aloneness of man. And God's creation of the woman was the completion and the perfection of his creative acts. The creation of woman from man was the crown jewel of creation. God finally looked at everything that he had made after he took woman from man. And here's what it says in Genesis 1.31. It says, and God saw everything that he made and behold. Right? We've talked about this word behold. When God says behold in the Bible, it means that what he's about to say next is important. It's going to be amazing. And here's what he says. Behold, he doesn't just say now it was good. He says, and behold, it was very good. It was very good. Walk church, marriage is good, <laughs> right? Listen, regardless of what we make it, regardless of the brokenness that we see in our own marriages, regardless of all the divorces that we see in our culture and inside the church, marriage is a good thing. And here's the really good news. God is in the business of redeeming things that we break. Listen, church, there is hope for your marriage this morning. Whether you're a single person who's going to get married or whether you are a married person who's struggling in your marriage, God is in the business of redeeming his marriage if we follow his instructions. Now listen, this may come as a shock to you, but you can't just operate in your marriage any old way you want to. All right? You can't just say, I like this, but I don't like that. I'm going to do this, even though God says not to do it that way. And that really shouldn't surprise us, should it? I mean, we don't just get to put anything we want to in the gas tank of our car, do we? <laughs> right? Listen, I don't care how much you don't like gasoline. Your car runs on gas. You can't just go put water in your gas tank. Listen, you can't go get a gallon jug and walk to the sweet creations table, fill it up with coffee, and put it in your gas tank because we're just going to throw it out anyway. You can't do that. The owner's manual says that it takes 87 or better. You have to put gas in your car. All right? And, and here's the thing. God's instructions to us are for our good. Can I, can I get an amen there? All that means, right, is, is that you agree. Listen, God's instructions are for our good. They're not oppressive. They're not meant to hurt us or hinder us. They're there because he loves us. So let's go ahead and dive in right here, and let's look at God's instructions to wives. Husbands, you're next. Right? We've got three verses here that deal with women. We've got eight verses that deal with the men. You know what that means, right? It means most of the time you have to tell us twice. And, and, and the men have a lot more responsibility, right? We're going to have to give an account of our lives to God as the spiritual leaders of our homes. So let's go ahead and read this. Starting in verse 22 again, it says this. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. That was the teaching of last week. Pastor Hyden talked about the what. Verse 23 says this. You see this word right here? For. What that means is I'm about to tell you why. It means let me explain Here's why wives should submit to their husbands as to the Lord. Because the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now listen, I want to talk to you about the why this morning, but we're never going to understand the why of submission from wives to husbands until we understand the term headship in this passage. And we're never going to understand marriage until we understand the relationship between Christ 
and his church. So let's go ahead and start there. Let's, let's talk about the relationship between Christ and the church. And here's what I need you to see this morning. I need you to see that Paul is giving Christians, all the saints in the room say, say that's me, right? Paul is giving Christians an exalted view of marriage. Listen, when, when Christians go and, and watch a beautiful sunset at the beach, right, here's what they do. They see the sunset, it takes their breath away, and they say, wow, that is a beautiful sunset. Do we not? You know what unbelievers say? They say the same thing. But a Christian doesn't stop there. A Christian says, wow, that is such a beautiful sunset. Wow, God, this tells me something about you. God, this tells me something about the beauty and the majesty and the splendor and the creativeness of you as the creator who had the vision to create something so beautiful. When we see a a bird that's a beautiful animal, we say, God, wow, you are so creative. This bird tells me something about you. And when Paul asks the wives to willingly submit to their husbands, hear me, church, and to help their husbands to be the spiritual leaders that God has given them the responsibility to be, he's showing us that the Christian marriage is a picture of something even more beautiful than marriage itself. Okay? Okay? Marriage is a picture of the headship or the leadership of Christ and the willing submission and love that the church has for Jesus. Here's a reality statement for us. Wives, you are called to be a reflection of the beauty of God by willingly submitting to your husband's leadership. Wives, this is a high calling. Your marriage is points to more than just you and your marriage. Let me say it again. Wives, you are called to be a reflection of the beauty of God by willingly submitting to your husband's leadership in the home. Let me just put it like this. Let me make it an imperative, and an imperative that, that, that answers the why, okay? Wives, reflect the glory of God in your marriage because your willing submission points to something bigger than your marriage. Paul has already been giving us an understanding of the beauty of the relationship between Christ and his church, right? You know, look at the kind of leader that we follow as a church. Paul is emphasizing the kind of leadership and the kind of care that Jesus has for his church. In Ephesians chapter 1, the very beginning of the book that we're currently preaching from, here's what he says in in verse 7. He says this, he says, in him, that's in Christ, we have redemption Through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. That means that God himself became a man. He came from heaven. He came seeking you and me. And here's what happened. When he found us, we were in bondage of slavery and the slave market of sin. And so Jesus loved us by paying a great cost where he had to lay down his life and shed his own blood in order to redeem you from the slave market of sin. And here's what it accomplished for us. It accomplished the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the, I love this word, the riches of his grace. This came from the storehouse of God's riches. He came from heaven to save you. He paid a great price, an infinitely great price for you because he loved you so much. And it says this, that he lavished it upon us. This wasn't sparing riches. This was an overabundance of the riches of God's grace given to you because he loves you. And here's what that tells us about the leadership of Jesus. It means that it's a generous leadership. It's a leadership that provides for the church. And then again in in chapter 1, starting in verse 19, Paul has been praying. And part of his prayer says this. He prays that we would know 
that we as the church would know the immeasurable greatness of his power. His power toward us who believe. God empowers people who believe in him. He says Christ is seated in the heavenly places. Where is he seated at? Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named. He's the highest of the high. He's of the highest authority. There's no one higher than him. There's no one with more power than the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and here's what he says next. He says, not only in this age, he says, but also in the one to come. We are secure in Christ now. We are secure in Christ in the future. He has no rivals. We are powerfully protected by Jesus. And it says, and he puts all things under his feet. That means that God the Father put all things under Jesus' feet and gave him as, here's our word, as head over all things to the church, which is his body. Here's what that's saying, church. Hear me. God the Father gave the one who is far above all rule and dominion and authority and power, not only in this age but in the one to come, God gave him as a gift to you. God gave the, the Son, God gave the Lord Jesus Christ to us as a gift to the church. And here's what that means. Not only is it provision, but that's powerful leadership. It's a leadership that protects. It's a leadership that provides. It's a leadership that protects. And finally, it's a leadership that serves. Jesus is a servant leader. You remember in Luke chapter 22, the disciples are arguing and fighting with one another. And you know what the topic of discussion is? Which one of them is going to be the greatest? No, 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 it's going to be me. I'm going to be sitting at his right hand. You know? And that's the fight. They're fighting about who's going to be greater. And look at how Jesus responds. Here's what he says. He says, the kings and the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as one who serves. Now remember, church, right now I'm talking about the headship, the leadership of Jesus, but this is telling us something about the role of the husband and the kind of leadership that a wife is called to submit to. He says, for who is the greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? And Jesus gets the answer right. It's, he says, is it not the one who reclines at the table? He says this, but I am among you as one who serves. Wait a second, Jesus, what's your resume? Well, I created the universe. I'm the king of kings and the lord of lords. I'm high above all authority and rule and power. But I came here to serve you. I didn't come here to be served, but to serve and give my life a ransom for many. So it's a leadership that serves. It provides, it protects, it serves. And how does the church respond? The church responds in love. There is a love language relationship between the church and Jesus, right? He's mine and I'm his, right? We belong to Jesus. We, we delight to do his will. There's nothing that he could ask us that we wouldn't willingly do because Jesus gave his life, he shed his blood for me, What's he going to ask me to do? To love, love one another? To love you by serving you? To provide, to protect? Right? There's nothing that Jesus can ask me to do that I won't willingly do. Because I love him. Because he loved me first. 1 John chapter 5, verse 3 says this. For this is the love of God. That we keep his commandments. And here's the deal. His commandments are not burdensome. 
It's, it's not a burden for me to, to do what Jesus calls me to do. Yeah, he might call me to do some things that are uncomfortable. For example, he might call me to go out after the service and, and get inside a tub full of water with all my clothes on and be dunked underwater and get baptized yeah. in front of a, bu- a bunch of people watching. Like, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I'm not, probably not going to do that unless someone tells me to do that. Right? But his commandments are not burdensome to me. And, and, and he's saying, he's saying that one of the ways that you can love me back as a church is to obey my commandments. You know, um, I don't know if I've ever told you guys this before, but I really hate making my bed. <laughs> I hate it. It doesn't make any sense to me. Right? I mean, think about it. Think about it. You get out of bed, and you leave your room, and you don't come back until it's nighttime. Right? And, and what do you do at nighttime? You take the pillows, and you throw them on the floor or on the chair or whatever. You take the covers off, you get in bed, and you sleep, and then you wake up, and you're just going to do the same thing over and over again. It doesn't make any sense to me to, to, to make the bed. My parents never made me make the bed. I'm not trying to throw shade at my parents here. I know my dad was a Marine, but I didn't have to make my bed as a kid, and it doesn't make sense to me. But let me tell you this. My wife loves when I make the bed. <laughs> And so, and so there's this battle that goes on inside me sometimes, and, and I'm like, man, I'm like, I don't want to make the bed. I, and I, I literally go to walk out the door, and I, and I grab, and then I look back at the bed, and I say, you know what? And I literally say these words, let me love my wife. Let me love my wife. And I come over, and I make the bed, and I do it. And the reason why I do it is because I love her, and I know that it makes her happy. Right? She walks in the room, and she gets off of work, and she says, oh, he made the bed for me. You know, and that's just a way that I can serve my wife. You know, even though I don't want to do it, I do it willingly. <laughs> now remember, we're, stu- we're still uh, dealing with wives here, right? <laughs> Although a lot of the husbands in the room are scared right now because of this model of Jesus and the headship and the kind of leadership that we're supposed to follow, right? This example of leadership. But as a final, final statement on this point, let me just read, read this. It says this, something that I, I just wrote yesterday. It says, wives are called to willingly submit themselves to the leadership of their husbands out of love for Christ so that their husbands are able to lead in a way that brings joy to the heart of God, that brings blessing and happiness to the home, and shows the watching world the beauty of Jesus. Listen, your picture is more, excuse me, your marriage is more than a marriage. Your marriage is a picture of something far greater than a husband and a wife. Your picture, your, your marriage is a picture of Christ and the church. All right, so we understand that Christ is the head of the church. We understand that it's a beautiful picture of headship and submission and that the church submits to Christ in every area of life, right? There's nothing that he commands us to do that we say no to. But here's what this passage is really pointing to. Right? It's saying that in the same way that Christ is the head of the church, he's saying this, here's the reason why we submit to our husbands. It's because the husband is the head of the wife, and his calling, wives, is to protect, to nourish you, to build you up, and to be the spiritual leadership of your family. And listen, just like wives, the husbands have a high calling in their marriage. So let's let just say, point number two, wives, reflect the glory of God in your marriage through submission because, remember, we're still answering the why question here, 
because you can help your husband carry out his calling. You can help your husband carry out the high calling that he has on his life to be the spiritual leader in your home, to love you and to nourish you and to protect you, to bring joy to the heart of God, to show the watching world that that your, your marriage is a picture of something greater than your marriage, to provide for you, to protect you, and to serve you. Your willing submission to your husband will help him to do that. Now, this, this, <laughs> amen. This reminds me of Hebrews chapter 13, uh, verse 17. And the writer of Hebrews is now writing a letter, and he's specifically addressing the people in the congregation. He's specifically addressing you guys. And I know that this doesn't directly correlate to marriage here, but just, just follow the analogy here. Here's what it says. Here's, inst- here's his instructions to you guys. He says, obey your leaders and submit to them. Here's our, here's our word again, for. It's going to tell us why. He says, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. It says, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Now, wives, listen, you can enable and help your husbands to carry out the high calling that they have, the high calling that they will actually have to give an account for. Husbands will be held accountable for the way that they lead your family. Just like pastors are going to be held accountable for the way that they shepherd the flock. Listen, pastors... The pastors of Walk Church will stand before God one day and we will answer and we will give an account for the way we shepherded you. And what this writer is saying is that you can help us to do that with joy and without groaning by obeying and submitting to your leaders. And here's what I'm saying to you, wives, you can help your husband carry out the high calling that he has by submitting to him willfully. Now, let me just say a brief word to the husbands here, although we're going to deal with you more in depth next week. He's, first of all, notice that husbands are not called to put their wives in their place. <laughs> husbands, you're not called to put your wives in, your, in, in their place. Men, you are not commanded to make your wife submit to you. Instead, you are called to love like Jesus. Listen, the command to the wife is to submit to your husbands. The command to men is to love your wives You see, there's no command to the men to make your your wives submit. Submission is only something that can be given to you, right? Husbands, you may not use your headship to demand the submission of your wives. They cannot force the submission of their wives. Submission is something that can only be given voluntarily. You cannot take it. You can only earn it. And one of the ways that you can earn it is by loving your wife the way that Christ loved the church. Now, listen, I want to say this. None of us can do this perfectly. In our own power, we'll mess it up every time. We need God's help. We need God to do this through us. We, need, we, need, we really need God's help because none of us are going to be able to perfectly do this. Jesus Christ is the only one who has ever been able to perfectly model this. So let me just tell you this. We need God's help. You have, to go, you have to go to God and ask God to help you to become an unselfish person and to consider the needs of others as more important than your own. Let me just give us a couple quotes on what headship looks like. First one from George McKnight III. He says this, Paul emphasizes that the headship of the husband over his wife must not be negative, oppressive, or reactionary. Instead, it must be a headship of love in which the husband gives of himself for his wife's good, nourishing and cherishing the beloved, the beloved one who, as his equal, voluntarily submits to his headship. 
Listen, this is helpful. This is helpful. I've got, I've got another one here from John Piper. Here's what he says. He says, headship is the divine calling of a husband to take primary responsibility for Christ-like servant leadership, protection, and provision in the home. Therefore, from the context of Ephesians, the headship of the husband implies that as far as possible, he should accept the greater responsibility for supplying the needs of his wife, including material needs, but also protection and care. And he should accept the greater responsibility of authority and leadership in the family. If the husband is the head of the wife, as verse 23 in our passage says, let it be very plain to all husbands that this means primary, primarily leading out of the kind of love that is willing to die to give her life. I'll clap with you, Jaffron. I'll clap with you. Listen, women, this is a high calling for you. Men, this is an equally high calling for us. But here's the, here's the deal. If we follow God's instructions, this is what God wants for your marriage. God wants husbands to love their wives self-sacrificially in a way that nourishes and provides and protects them. And he wants the wives to willingly submit themselves to their husband's leadership as they accept the greater responsibility for the leadership in the family. The leadership that God calls men to is a leadership or a headship that equals self-sacrificing responsibility. Men, it's hard. It's not about you. Headship is about demonstrating the glory of Christ's sacrifice for his church. Yes, your wife is to be under your leadership, but your leadership is founded on Christ-like love and sacrifice. Let me just end by, by, by talking a little bit more about what submission is not. Right? Because remember, this is still a message to wives today. Right? Although we're, husbands, we're learning a lot, right? All right, so let's just talk about what submission is not. This is from Recovering Biblical manhood and womanhood, Wayne Grudem in chapter 10 says, says this, submission does not mean putting a husband in the place of Christ. Listen, every single one of us, men and women, our first call is to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our Lord. We answer to him first before we answer to our husbands. We do not put husbands in the place of Christ. Number two, submission does not mean giving up independent thought. Now, now, I think that a lot of us might read the passage that we just read today in Ephesians chapter 5, and we might skip over something that's very important. Let me tell you what Paul doesn't say. Paul doesn't say this. He doesn't say, husbands, tell your wives that I said to submit to you. Paul speaks directly to the wives, and he says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And then he gives the wives the reason why. God does not expect you to give up independent thought in your marriages. Number three, submission does not mean that a wife should give up efforts to influence and guide her husband. Listen, marriage is primarily about friendship. Remember, the Bible said that God told us that it was not good that man should be alone. Marriage is friendship. Marriage is companionship. Marriage is completion. And here's the thing. Proverbs 27, 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another, right? What happens when two pieces of iron clash together? What do you get? Sparks. You get sparks. There's going to be sparks in your marriage, all right? Women, you're going to have to confront your husband sometimes because sometimes your husbands are not going to be leading in the way that glorifies and honors God, and you have full authority to, to make your opinion known. You have full authority to guide and influence his decision-making for the glory of God in your marriages, you should feel free to do that. God has given you 
has given you a lot of gifting and, and a lot of power, and sometimes we need your influence. A lot of times we need your influence. And number four, submission does not mean that a wife should give in to every demand of her husband. Listen, if your husband commands you to, if your husband commands you to do something that God forbids, you must obey Christ. If your husband command, right, or the other way around, if, if he forbids you to do something that God commands, then you have to obey Christ. And let me tell you what I mean. Romans chapter 13, verse 1 says this, and this is a command to every Christian in the world for all time. He says this, be subject to the governing authorities. He says, there are governments in your city, there are governments in your country, and you must submit to the laws of the country. That's what we are called as Christians to do. And that was written at a time when Nero was Caesar, and, and, and he was one of the most wicked men in the history of the world. And yet the command to Christians was to submit yourself to the governing authorities. But here's the deal. In Acts 5.29, the apostles are preaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. They're sharing the gospel and preaching the kingdom of God. And the governing authorities tell them, stop preaching in Jesus' name. And do you know how they responded? Here's what they said. It is better for us to obey God rather than man. You are not called to give in to every demand of your husband. And then also from Recovering Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, Wayne Grudem in chapter 11 calls headship considerate leadership. And here's what he says. Considerate leadership, talking to the men now, considerate leadership does not mean harsh or domineering use of authority. It does not mean harsh or domineering use of authority. Number two, it says considerate leadership does not imply lesser importance for a wife. We are equal in the marriage but we have different roles. Number three, considerate leadership is not optional for husbands. Husbands, this is a requirement for us. We will deal with this more next week, but we are required to be considerate leaders as we lead our families and our wives in the spiritual leadership and our homes in a self-sacrificial way. Now, let me just end by, by saying this. Jesus is the example for husbands and wives. Right? We already, we've already seen the kind of headship that Jesus has for his church. But we also read in 1 Corinthians eleven three. it says this. It says that Christ is the head of man, man is the head of woman, and it says that God is the head of Christ. Now listen, we see Jesus as the role of the one who's in submission. Right? Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father do. I only say what I hear the Father say. Remember, in the Garden of Gethsemane, the day before Jesus was crucified, Here's, here's, what he, here's what he said. He said, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. And so he, here's what we see there. We see here that one in submission is making his desires known to the one that he's in submission to. But then he says this, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. You see, it's not wrong, wives, for you to make your request and your desires known to your husbands. This is not what that means. Jesus himself did that to the Father but at the end, he, he submitted himself to the Father's will. And here's one last thing that I want to say. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Single people, let's talk for a second. Women, if you are single in the room today and you are looking for a husband, and you find a husband and he is not a Christian, he is not a believer, you shouldn't expect him to lead your family in the way that men are commanded to lead. And here's the thing, though. You're still going to be required to submit to his, to his leadership as a Christian wife. So, so 
single women, you need to find a man who loves Jesus as much as, much as you do so that it will be a joy to submit to him. All right? <clears throat> men, let's talk. Single men in the room, if you're looking for a wife and she's not a believer and she won't even submit herself to God, <laughs> then what makes you think she's going to submit herself to you? Listen, if you love God and you want a great marriage, you need to find yourself a woman who loves Jesus just as much as you do. Now, church, I know, I know that I've said a lot today, um, but there are a couple books that I'd like to recommend for further reading. The first one is Timothy Keller's book. It's called The Meaning of Marriage. It has really shaped the way that my wife and I understand marriage. And actually, it is a, an explanation of Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 33. So actually, it's perfect for what, we're, what we're, um, we're going through right now as a church. Number two, I'd like to talk to you about the book called The Five Love Languages. I, I know that my wife's love language is acts of service. That's why I make the bed. All right? It's a good book. I recommend it. We've got both of those in the bookstore. And the last one is a book called Recovering Biblical Manhood and Womanhood by John Piper and Wayne Grudem. That's the, it's the book that I've been quoting from today. All right, so if you're interested in further study here, I would recommend those books to you. Well, let's go ahead and end today's service and let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for this challenging word. God, we, we confess, we admit to you that it is challenging, God, and just like we did at the beginning of the service, we confess, God, that we need your help. God, we, we cannot do this alone. God, I, I thank you for the beautiful picture that marriage points to, God, that marriage is pointing to something bigger, something far greater than the reality of the marriage itself. God, we, we see from today's passage that marriage is really a picture of Christ and his church. God, when we go home today, I pray that you would help us, God, to remember these things, God, that, that we would be intentional about living these principles out. God, the first temptation that we're going to have is to be selfish. God, selfish is the main problem in every one of our marriages. God, I pray that you would give us a spirit-enabled unselfishness, a spirit-enabled ability and desire to put the need of our spouses ahead of our own for husbands and wives. And God, finally, I pray for the men, for the husbands. God, that you would help us to be the kind of spiritual leaders that would do justice to the glory of Christ, leadership and headship of the church. God, we can't do it without you. We need you. So would you help us now? In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, why don't we, uh, we welcome my spirit-filled wife, Miss Ilse Bussey. Hello. Hello. Well, I wanted to, to bring my wife up here today uh, and just you know, ask her a, a couple questions. Um, from a spirit-filled wife's point of view. Um, so, honey, how, how did today's sermon land on you? Well, you know, it just was a, a clear reminder that I was not to rehearse my answers or uh, draw from all of the personal experience, but just rather lean on God. And in coming with that type of mindset, just learning and taking it all in once again. Yeah. Well, would, would you say that, that this idea of, of spirit-filled submission, a wife submitting to her husband, is that something that, that came natural to you in our marriage? 
I think I had a lot of uh, preconceived notions coming into our marriage. I grew up in a household where submissiveness was modeled greatly by my mom. Um, unfortunately, in, in our house, that marriage ended in divorce, and so I felt that it didn't have a positive reward. And so I just thought, well, I'm gonna do the opposite of that. I am going to be my own person. I'm going to have a strong opinion and a strong voice. And that takes quite a bit of energy. And so once we were married, I found that I was using all this energy where I didn't need to. There was no um, authority over me that was trying to impress me or trying to make me feel bad about any of the things that I did. And so I, I quickly and naturally uh, began to, to submit. Can you, can you think of any examples of how maybe this headship this kind of headship that we've described in the Bible has, has been modeled maybe in our, in our home? Yes. <laughs> um, you know, there was, we've, we've gone through many uh, trials, hurdles, mm -hmm. and growing pains as, as husband and wife. Mm -hmm. But there was a time where not necessarily something that we strongly disagreed or caused problem in our, in our marriage, but there was a time where we had two kids. Eliana and Josiah, and I felt very content, very satisfied with what God had blessed us with. And so I couldn't see past that number. Two kids was great. One on one, you know, there was one for each of us. We all fit comfortably kind of in a car and, and things felt good. They were great. Um, they were little and there were many, many times that I felt overwhelmed. So I thought, why have more? Yeah, I, I wanted more kids. <laughs> right. And I started to get a feeling, and then you expressed those feelings. Mm -hmm. You did want more kids, and I felt like I had a strong say in this, and it was a no. It was a, it was a for sure no. Um, and we talked about it a few times, and you just kept saying, no, I do. And I said, well, I don't. And there was a, a time when you said, well, I'll just, I think you said, I'll wait for you. I'll pray for you. And it really took me by surprise, I think, because I started to realize he was serious. He really did want more kids, and he really <laughs> was waiting, and we, we did not have that much time to wait. And so... What, what, what are you trying to say? Well, you're getting a little old. <clears throat> she went like this. We don't have that much time to wait. <laughs> um, so, you that know, didn't happen in the first service. I didn't. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> What I think that moment really did was it caused me to stop looking around, you know, at, at the toddler tantrums and, and the mess everywhere. It stopped um, making me look in your direction, and it caused me to look up at God and just really ask him to tell him no. <laughs> no more kids. <laughs> <clears throat> But what I did is I really submitted myself to God and I really asked him, you know, is this really, really where we, where we are headed? And if it is, cause my heart to change. I want my feelings, my, my mindset, my heart, everything to change. And, and he was so gracious and patient with me and, and allowed me to go through that process. And here we are, you know, baby number three came and it was, it was a beautiful thing, not only because the babies are beautiful, but because it just really represented more than just 
us in our marriage. It really gave room for God to work within our marriage. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> you know, you know I, re- I remember when, you know, when, when the no went, went from a no to a yes, and, and that was exciting, you know, and, and I was really happy that, you know, your desire had really changed. Yeah. You know, it, it wasn't just a, okay, you know, fine, I'll, I'll submit to your leadership in our, in our house, but, but, you know, your heart really wanted, and you expressed, you know what, I really do want another baby now, and so yes. that was really, that was really nice. Is there anything else that you'd maybe like to add to, to the spirit-filled wives in the room? Just encouragement. Um, you know, we could not do this alone, and that's something that you've touched on. We, we really should and do rely on God for the daily walk of our marriage because there are different things that will happen in your marriage, around your marriage, um, that will really challenge you as a person and will really cause you to um, even get distracted at times you know, from, from what God has called you to be. And so leaning on our under, understanding really just makes it harder. Um, mm-hmm. It causes us to use all this energy being on defense almost. Yeah. And so just trusting God with it, knowing that he is with us through it all. And, um, you know, something that really I, I, I feel on this service specifically is just to share that um, Marriage is between you and your husband. And there are times that we allow friendships and um, counsel from people that are not being sent to you by God. And that really hinders your marriage. Uh-huh. Your, your number one friendship, your number one relationship is with God, but then with your husband. So do not lean on friendships. Do not lean on the world's understanding of marriage, but on God's direct um, guidance Mm. who will point you to your husband, not people around or outside of your marriage. Wow, that's good. Well, why don't you you go ahead and lead us in a a time of prayer and and pray for the spirit-filled wives in the room. Father, we just thank you. We love you, oh God. Um, With humble hearts, we just ask you to continue to pour... Um, humility into us, to pour love into us, Father God. May we never feel empty of the love that we are to give our husbands, Father God. I want to encourage uh, spirit-filled wives in their walk with the Lord and um, those who are not married yet and those who are seeking a husband. Allow God to bring that husband to you. Allow God to go ahead of you rather than you ahead of him. Father God, we we love you, we adore you, we thank you for your mercy, for your love, for your protection, and for your leadership. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, let's hear it for my beautiful wife, Miss Ilse Bussey. Love you, honey. All right, so...